All right, so I want to introduce you to our speaker today. Uh, we're partnering with a church called River Tree. That's my home church, huge church down in Canton, Maslin. They have a lot of campuses and things, and we have this partnership where we're developing a, a pastoral residency, a place for guys who feel a, a, a calling to ministry, guys and girls for that matter, who feel a calling to ministry to kind of uh, learn some things and, and help out in their own way. And Adam uh, started attending, Adam McMahon started attending Polaris about a year and a half ago. Now, um, I'm going to just go ahead and launch into some inappropriate humor there, because why not? <clears throat> uh, Cocaine Bear movie just came out um, about bears that got into some, some cocaine and kind of go crazy. Um, I kid you not, when I first met Adam, uh, which was, I, I think it was like a year ago this past October or something like that, he was in my office just kind of telling me his story. And all I could think of is, like, this guy has cocaine levels of excitement for Jesus. <laughs> like, like, seriously just excited about Jesus to the point where I was kind of like, dude. And then I felt like God kind of saying, Alex, I haven't called you to, like, calm people down in their love for Jesus. Like, that's not something I need you worried about. Uh, so anyway, I just had him extremely excited about Jesus and what he's done for him what he's done in his, in his life, and, and that's infectious when he talks with other people, and so I'm excited for him to share with you today. Give it up for the world's largest leprechaun, Adam <laughs> McMahon. What an introduction. Uh, the bear's name is Pablo Escobar, by the way. If you didn't know. And I feel like the Christian in me wants to tell you guys that there's also a movie called Jesus Revolution, which you could have. That's our pastor, Alex. I am Adam McMahon. I'm the pastoral resident here at Polaris Christian Church, along with River Tree Church, as he mentioned. And I am thrilled that this is even an opportunity for me. Um, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Maybe not cocaine level excited, but like super Excited to be here with you guys today and share what God's laid on my heart. If you guys are new, we've been going through this series over the last few weeks we're calling Detox. And really it's this slow walk through a really important part of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is in the book of Matthew. It's three chapters long. And it's really a concise uh, script of all of Jesus' life teachings. How he wants his followers to be separate. And so we've talked about how, uh, you know, he's taken that ladder uh, that goes up to heaven and he's flipped it on the side. So now we're, we're no longer like fighting for position on where we're at with God. We're all on the same level playing field. And he's talked about how he's come to fulfill the Old Testament law, which we learned last week is just really to interpret it the way God intended it for the people that he called his children and so today, Jesus is really getting ready to take these people back to school, right? He's going to tell them, here's what you know, but here's what I'm going to tell you. So he's taking them back to school, and in my preparation, I found myself going back to school a little bit. And so um, we're going to talk today about how words can hurt and how we can use words in our anger. And believe it or not, I wasn't always this physical specimen, bearded man, you know, intimidating, right? I wasn't always the biggest leprechaun, as Alex said. 
so I had to use my words to kind of defend myself or to quip or to be like, hey, you're not going to hurt me, right? And I got really good at that. Uh, but sometimes I cross the line, believe it or not. And I don't know if any of you can relate, but I want to take you back to school for a minute. And we're going to talk about some of the coolest quips from the 80s and 90s. Anybody remember this, gem? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? I mean, it's got to be true. It rhymes a little bit. Right? Like, it's good. Right? That was a good comeback. Like, you could say what you want. It's not going to get to me. How about this one from our friend Pee Wee Herman? I know you are, but what am I? Like, how irritating is that? It's just so annoying, right? How about this one? Takes one to know one. Burn. Got you. This one might be my favorite. I'm rubber. You're glue. What, bounces, uh, what you say bounces off of me and sticks back to you, right? There's a lot of, like, imagery in that. Like, I just like the imagery of that one. That's pretty intellectual, I think, for a comeback. And then lastly, say it. Don't spray it. Okay? We want the news, not the weather. Now, uh, not in my notes, but I felt obligated to share uh, because of my age. I feel like I'm getting older. My fourth grade daughter said, Dad, nobody says those anymore. We say, Uno reverse card, bruh. And so... You could flip it on them that way too now, I guess. All right, there's a different way to do it. But in all seriousness, like those were meant to like tell our attacker that like they had no power over us. We were impervious to what they were saying. But if we're honest, sometimes the words did hurt, right? Sometimes we weren't rubber. Sometimes we were glue and things, things stuck and things stayed with me and doubts about myself were affirmed in those moments. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18:21 that the tongue has the power of life and death. It's a lot of gravity, right? The tongue has the power of life and death. So we're going to talk today about anger. We're going to talk about our words. And really again, just keep in mind like the overarching theme of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's like the great equalizer. Right? Jesus has a way of pulling those that feel unworthy up to the platform and, and humbling those that think they're going up on their own and bringing them back down to real life. He really has a way of doing that. And in this, he's, he's telling us he expects more from those of us that say, I'm a Jesus follower. So keep that in mind today as we discuss how name-calling is equivalent to murder, according to Jesus. Uh, I'd love for you guys to grab a Bible. Uh, they're in front of you, under the chair in front of you, or if you're in the front row here, right underneath the seat. We like that everybody participates just in case someone's learning how to navigate Scripture. They don't feel like they're on an island. But we are going to turn to page 969, and that's Matthew chapter 5, big 5, little 21 and 22. I'll give you just a minute to get there with me. Matthew 5. 21 and 22. These are Jesus' words. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be sub subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, 
is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. That's like, that's a big deal, man. It's the great equalizer. Jesus says, you've heard sticks and stones will break your bones and words will never hurt you. But I say the sticks and stones will break your bones and words can subject you to judgment and hellfire. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I hate to admit this, but I stand before you guilty today. You know, not long ago, I took my kids to a Cavs basketball game. And to protect the innocent player, to which I was so mean, I won't use his name, but he's no longer with our organization, which I think supports what I said He was playing pretty poorly, and I was sitting pretty far away, so I had to be boisterous in it, and I was like, you're a bum, and as if there were an echo in the room, my nine-year-old daughter goes, yeah, you're a bum, and I was like, oh, no, what have I done? It's kind of one of those mortifying moments as a parent, like, what did I just teach my kid? Maybe you're there, too. Let's think of a time, right? If we're all honest with ourselves, we probably said some things that we regretted later, right? Maybe it was the athlete for you or the referee. Maybe it's the politician on your favorite news channel, right? Name calling a little bit. Maybe it was the commuter in front of you going five miles per hour too slow, making you late for church this morning. No judgment. We're all on the same platform here. Now that we're all together, I want to dive in just a little deeper into what Jesus is saying because I see two things that really jump out, and that's anger and that's our words. And so we're going to talk about what happens when we get angry, why our words matter, and how we might be able to use our words in a more pleasing manner to God. Uh, let's talk about the sticks and stones real quick, okay? We are just a culture that's completely enamored by murder, okay? I know that sounds strange, and we're all against that, but we truly are. I mean, if you look at the local news, what stories lead the way? It's the murder cases, right? How many of you have watched a Netflix documentary series about somebody who was a serial killer? Like, we're just... And we have board games. It was Colonel Mustard in the library with the wrench. Like, we are obsessed with this idea of murder. My wife, she loves to watch these shows like See No Evil or The First 48. And, like, if you're in here and you're doing that, like, I'm praying for you. No, I'm just... But she doesn't watch them, like, during the day when I'm not home. She likes to watch them, like, as we go to bed which is really unsettling. It's very hard to fall asleep calmly when your wife's studying, you know? <laughs> so she loves those shows. But our, our culture, societies in general, I think we're just kind of like, how could anybody get to that level? Well, Jesus starts his message off by talking about murder. He, he brings his audience back to the, the, the base of Mount Sinai when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down and one of them said, you shall not murder. They recognized that. You and I today probably recognize that as one of the Ten Commandments. And it was actually the first one that dealt with how we treated other people. And I think it's really fair of us to, to think or to say that if we were going to create a rule of life for ourselves or a new society or maybe some values to raise our kids by, don't murder is a great launching point for that, right? And that's what God was doing with Moses when he led the children of Israel out. They were in bondage for 400 years. They didn't know how to live. And God said, if you're mine, you're going to live this way. 
And so Jesus was mimicking that to these people who thought they had it down. He said, you have heard it like this, but I tell you it's like this. He was creating a new society. You're going to see that theme as we go through the Sermon on the Mount a lot. You have heard, but I tell you. And that's really what Christianity is all about. Jesus is leveling up. Like it's no longer good enough for Jesus followers to just abstain from murder. Like I'm, it's important that we, that we don't do that. But it's not good enough. He wants you to level up. He, does, he says it's not just about not killing somebody. It's about speaking life to them. Jesus is the antithesis of, of death. He is life. He gives life, and the people that follow him should do the same. He's teaching us that it's not just our actions or inactions that separate us, but our attitudes and our intentions behind what we do. It's not good enough to not murder. We must be life givers if we are Jesus followers. And unchecked anger Boy, that can lead to some really scary stuff, some really heavy stuff. And it doesn't take long in Scripture for us to be introduced to this concept. It's actually only four chapters into the Bible. There are literally only four people on the planet and their family members. Imagine that. They want to kill each other. Four of them. And you've probably heard of these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And in Genesis 4, verse 6, it says this, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field, bro. And while they were in the field, he killed him. <laughs> it's easy for us, I think, to say, like, that would never happen to me. Right? Like, I, I don't have what it takes to be a murderer. But I don't think Cain woke up that day thinking he did either. I think what we see is that anger, when not ruled over, can lead to more challenging obstacles. That's what's happening here. I, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I used to watch these two shows on A&E. Maybe you've heard of them. Intervention was one of them. I used to really be enamored by that show, a uh, show about addicts and alcoholics where their family would try to intervene and to their life and try to bring them back to reality. And then uh, there was another one that came on right after that called Hoarders. And it was like, I can't believe that people's houses get that jam-packed with stuff like they can't walk they can't live like that cat hasn't moved in weeks like there's there's so much stuff in that house and I can guarantee you that it wasn't just because they went to Target one day but it became like this behavioral pattern for them same with the alcoholic the addict it wasn't just one time and the same is true for you and I with our anger. It's not just getting mad once and letting it go, but if you harbor it, if you keep it, if you store it up, it's amazing how our lives can become quickly unmanageable and unrecognizable because of the grudges that we hold. And Jesus knows this is how it will affect us, and so he pleads with us to deal quickly with it, to rule over it, as God said to Cain. It got the best of Cain, and you and I are no different than him. Let's talk about how sometimes when we look at sin through eyes of comparison, how that can be a problem, right? And I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything, but let's, let's, uh, 
let's just say, how many of you here think that going five miles per hour over the speed limit is speeding? Nobody. Same, same. How many of you share Netflix passwords with every cousin that you've ever had? Is that stealing? I, I don't know. Surely nobody in here honestly thinks that calling somebody a name is the same to murder. Right? I mean, it's not. It's not the same to you and I. But Jesus says that it is. I hesitate to define what raca means because I know when I was in school taking Spanish, when we learned a dirty word, we used it all the time because nobody knew what it meant. But raca really translated is just empty-headed, worthless, idiot. I've said stuff like that to people. I'm guilty as I stand here and talk to you about this. But the question is, why does it matter so much? Why such equilibrium between name-calling and murder? Jesus has this encounter in Matthew chapter 12 with a group of Pharisees who are the religious elites of the day. These are the people who were keeping others from God. They had this pseudo-power, and Jesus was really upsetting, uh, upsetting this group. And they started to use their words to diminish what he was doing. And so he kind of cut the legs out from under them real quick. And he gives them a lesson in Matthew 12, verse 34 and 35, that I think all of us should consider here. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Jesus makes this connection. It matters what we say, not because of what we say, but because of where it's being fueled from, where it's coming from, is our heart. And he cares very deeply about our hearts. The greatest command when asked, Jesus says, is what? It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keeping anger or grudges or jealousy in our heart is a lot like letting one weed in your flower bed stay put. Now, I've done this research many springs, and if you don't deal with a weed in your flower bed, the next day when you come out, there's two, and then there's four, and then it looks like a scene from Jumanji. That's how weeds work. That's how hate works in our heart. That's how anger hurt, uh, works in our heart. And so I might leave you with this little nugget. Spray it. Don't say it. Spray it. It's a little roundup on those thoughts. A little roundup on that, that meanness in your heart. Spray those things. Tell Jesus, you know what, God, I'd really like to tell this person what I think, but I need you more. And so I'm not going to say that. And I want you to have more room in my heart. Why else would the penalty for name-calling be so great? Well, it takes one to know one. How about that? You and I were also once spiritually empty. We once had a void ourselves. We weren't always great Christians who followed the rules and bought our own Netflix. We weren't always like that. Jesus has this incredible habit, the career really, of taking what's empty and filling it, taking what's broken and restoring it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that his first recorded miracle in John chapter 2 was turning water into wine, taking empty vessels and filling them with what the wedding master referred to as the best. 
That's what he's doing in our lives. And if you know anything about wine, wine takes time. It takes time to become good. There's a story behind every vineyard or every bottle or every grape, right? And there's been things in your life that you've been a part of that maybe didn't make sense at the time, but it's just adding to your unique blend of what Jesus is filling you with. He's saving the best for what's inside of you today. There's a process. Paul tells the church at Corinthians uh, at Corinth like this. They are a newer church. They're excited about what God's doing in their lives, a lot like the cocaine bearer. They're the cocaine bear church of Scripture. That's biblical. And uh, they're getting a little too big for their britches. And Paul tells them this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus. It takes one to know one. So the next time you're saying something to somebody, remember who you used to be before you let that out. Let's talk about rubber and glue. My favorite one, right? I'm rubber, you're glue. Honestly, there's some things we've got to let bounce. There's some things that we've got to let go. And I'll let you do your own soul searching on that. But there's some things that we need not to harbor in our heart. And whether that's a grudge with a family member or you're upset at something that happened 20 years ago, we need to let it bounce. And on the flip side of that coin, there's some things that we really need to start holding on to. And that's what God says. That's what he's told you. It's when he tells you you're his. And he tells you these are how my children live. This is how my children live. Those are the things we need to hold on to. You know, in that show, Hoarders, like you could see the outside of the house, and sometimes the yard was okay, right? So you didn't know that the house was like that until you got inside. Like you couldn't always see the, the rubbish or the hurt. We need to speak kindly because we don't know what people are going through in their lives. We don't know the hurt until they've invited us in. Um, but if you're here today and you feel like you're not seen, I want you to know that that Jesus sees you where you're at. He sees the hurt. He knows what you're going through. God tells uh, a story in the book of 1 Samuel. He sends his man to go find a new king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to uh, Jesse, and Jesse has seven sons, and they're going down the list, and like, this one's tall and rugged, like he could be a good king, he's a good leader, and God's like, nope. And then they finally get to the runt, little boy named David, shepherd, probably useless in most other cases. And God says, that's my guy. And I'm sure Samuel was like, mm, I'm not hearing you right, God. And God said, no, that's my guy. He says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. God tells Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So again, I can't see your hurt I don't know what you're harboring today. I don't know that stuff. 
Maybe the person next to you does, or maybe they don't. But I want you to know that Jesus sees you. He sees your hurt, and he cares about your heart. And so I want to give you guys three things today that we could do with our words to help maybe declutter a little bit, unpack some of the garbage, deal with some of the anger and some of the hurt, and ultimately make more room for Jesus. I suggest that since we don't see like Jesus, we speak like him. How did Jesus speak to people? He was forgiving. He was encouraging. He was always bringing them alongside. He was never condemning. You and I need to use our words to build people up, to encourage them that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for their life too. We need to use our words to breathe life into people. Secondly, we should sing to Jesus. Now, we did that earlier today, and I'm going to invite the band back up so that they can lead us in a song here to close the service. But when we sing, it's, it's a way to send our worship up to Jesus. It's, we're telling him that, that we need him more than we need to worry about this other stuff going on. And lastly, we need to speak to Jesus. We need to speak to him in prayer. And there's three types of prayers or three types of people today that I want to just address real quick before they sing. And the first is you who may not be a Jesus follower yet. You're sitting on the, on the mount with us, you're listening to the sermon, but you're just like, I don't know how I feel about Jesus. Well, let me, if you're wondering, let me help you get started. A good first step to following Jesus is from your heart and your mouth. Those two are connected again. And Paul tells the Romans, he says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. That's a great first step to becoming a Jesus follower. But maybe you're already a believer here today, but something's kind of holding you back. Maybe today something I said kind of resonated with you. Maybe you feel like, yep, there's some people i got to apologize to. There's some things that I've got to unpack in my life, what's cool about Jesus is he doesn't just like save his people and then like see you later. He stays with you. He doesn't leave you. And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, that he's faithful enough to forgive us and to clean us up when we mess up. So if you're in that spot today, use your words to confess to Jesus that, hey, I have some shortfalls. I want you to take those from me and teach me how to live a life more pleasing to you. And then lastly, and I'll close, lastly, we are so focused on starting to connect again. And so maybe you hear Jesus calling you a little bit further. Maybe he's working in you and he's saying, man, I got something for you and it's just going to take a little bit of faith. Maybe you could pray like the psalmist and say, search me, God. What do you have for me? Get rid of the wickedness in my heart and teach me to follow the plans that you have for my life. Would you all stand? I'm going to pray for us before we sing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to be in your house, to be in your word, and to be around your people. God, our words have the power of life and death, and we want to be life givers here at Polaris Christian Church. Help us to practice the pause. Help us to filter what we say and use our words to build others up just like you've built us up, God. Thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, and for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.
Amen.